Hello, and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 24, North Country, from 2005. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Jimmy Lewandowski. With us today, very special guest, prominent member in the Cage Club Podcast Network family, has not been on Watch the Throne yet. No. It's Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hey, guys. Well, uh, uh, well said welcome. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Glad, glad to be here. It only makes sense that you are on what is probably the number one candidate for a Contenders episode of a Charlie mm-hmm. Theron movie mm-hmm. to support your podcast of The Contenders, shining a light on the unruly women of cinema in a movie where it's Charlie Theron in the lead, a female director, a female screenwriter, a couple female producers. There are women in power all over this movie, and it's a movie about women's issues. Yeah, exactly. In fact, this is on uh, this was on our original list, not high on the list, but it was one we we sort of had had our eye on. So yeah, I'm glad to get a chance to talk about it. Yeah, it's crazy, Joey, too. I was also thinking about Monster back when we did that, that that might have been a contender for the contenders as well, kind of until I saw this movie. And (laughs) this, I think, is much more in line with that. But also like Monster, I feel like, wow, this is like a... I I thought this movie was a really, really good movie, uh, but it's one of those really good movies I don't know if I'm ever going to watch again. Oh, yeah, I'm never going to see this again. No, absolutely (laughs) not. Like, it it really affected me watching it this time. I don't know if I want to go through that again. I also do want to point out that this, like Monster, were the two films that Charlie Theron was nominated for an Oscar for. She was nominated for her Oscar for Best Female in a Leading Role for this movie. Uh, she did not win. And Frances McDormand was nominated for Best Actress right. for a Supporting Role. That's right. I mean, she's great in everything, but she I was so glad she was in this movie. This feels like almost a role tailor-made for her. So I don't know if you remember, but that year, Reese Witherspoon won for Walk the Line, which oh. we've talked about on, on past podcasts before. I don't remember if it's this one or other ones, but like with the biopics, biopics, I can't, I can never, I never know which way is the right way to say it. <laughs> I don't need to see them because... I know that Johnny Cash is an asshole. I don't need to see Walk the Line to learn that. So as good as she might be, I don't remember Walk the Line fondly. And then Rachel Weiss, who was just announced today that she's pregnant with a Bond baby, she won for Constant Gardener over Frances McDormand. So there yeah, we go. Yeah, and that I, I'm going to stand up for that entirely. She is one of my all-time favorite actresses in and is in that is incredible in that movie you know again it's hard in these like you put in actresses and actors against one another in these award shows but i that one i feel i feel better about than than maybe the reese win i love reese witherspoon but that's that performance is 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 good that's a good performance but i don't know and francis or, or i like to call it franny mcd because she's just great but she she got her oscar right didn't she yeah. get she got that this year too and funny enough she in a movie also starring Woody Harrelson. So that was that was a strange connection. Charlie was nominated for a bunch of other awards that year too, but she won two. She won at the Hollywood Film Awards. Huh. She won Actress of the Year, where there's oh. no nominees, I guess. It's just you win. Wait. It's like there's no there's nobody she ran against. Joaquin Phoenix won for actor of the year that year. Is that for their entire body of work? I guess that it just year, lists, or just so sometimes movie? on IMDb it lists like if there's multiple movies, but there it just says for this movie. Okay. So I'm not sure if it includes other things or not. But in 2005, the only other movie that she did was Aeon Flux, which oh. we have not seen yet. <laughs> but I can imagine that that's probably not up for Oscar or you know awards <clears throat> talk. The award I think it's up for mostly is the Razzie, right? <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it. I'm really or looking forward possibly to it. Mike's favorite Charlie's movie to date. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah, it's the, we're gonna get there. That happens sometimes when. They 
I give a with no other nominees a, a best of the year award. Sometimes uh, they give that to people just to get them to come to the awards show so that they can oh. <laughs> have that be part of the like draw to come come see somebody get get, uh, get an award. So I don't know, but that's the case here. But that's possible. You know, real quick, if I can, there, just because I love this guy's work, but Adam Rifkin just came out with a new movie starring Burt Reynolds, and that is the exact plot that he gets invited to this oh, film really? festival he's never heard of, but they're giving him a lifetime achievement award and when he shows up it's basically in a bar in austin texas and, <laughs> and the movie's about him reflecting on his career and accepting his place and stuff but yeah i mean i like that must happen it must have been based on a true story for someone <laughs> love it the other award that she won that year was at the women film critics circle awards mm. where she won best actress for this movie Again, no other nominees. But what I love about this, just looking at it, is there's also a Best Animated Female category, which went to Helena Bottom Carter for Corpse Bride. So I think that's oh. just a super cool, oh, cool. category. Yeah. Best Animated Female. I love that movie. That movie's awesome. It's gorgeous. I, I it's, it's, it's a little. I think it's a little crazier than Nightmare Before Christmas. The two of those get lumped together. I, I might have that might have the edge. But sorry, continue. <laughs> so many diversions here in the opening. <laughs> yeah. So this movie, North Country, is about the North Country, which is Minnesota. I took great offense to the villains of the movie bringing up my Minnesota Vikings in the middle of the movie talking about a girl quarterback. I was like, do not bring them into this. Do not sully their name with this. But it's about the first sexual harassment case in the early 90s that Charlize and her eventual co-workers lead this class action lawsuit against this mining company, this coal mining company. Uh, steel. Isn't it steel? Is it steel? I'm not sure. They keep saying American steel and like they keep talking about the president is allowing cheap steel and steel but so I wasn't really okay. clear though. They don't, like, she never actually mines things. Like She cleans up what they call the powder room. She does a bunch of different stuff while at work. Mostly she gets sexually harassed but she never actually mines things from what I remember or what we see, right. so I wasn't exactly sure. But is it, Tobin, is it steel or is it coal? Or is it just something sort of generic mining? I'm way out of my depth here, but my understanding... Cool, okay, my un- all three of us. My, under- <laughs> my understanding is that they are mining ore in order to make steel. Okay, okay. so it's like half and half. <laughs> I don't... Yeah. I, but I'm, but yeah. I, like I say, I, I'm not the science guy, so... No, the extent of my steel knowledge, or <laughs> mining knowledge for that matter, comes from the Keanu film Prince of Pennsylvania so I oh was boy. getting some wow. <laughs> I was getting some parallels in the beginning but that was only in the beginning <laughs> but I want to ask right off the bat because this sort of sat with me a little bit strange that this is a movie that stars Charlize Theron where she is great in it she's the lead of this she's a single mother which I love which we're going to get to in a little bit her father is played by Richard Jenkins and he has he undergoes this transformation in this movie where he sort of, the first line he says to Charlize, to his daughter, when she shows up to his house beaten and bloodied, is, did your husband catch you with another man? Is that why he laid hands on you? Oh, this is exactly who this guy is. He's a monster. He's terrible. He undergoes this transformation from that kind of guy to ultimately standing up for his daughter, literally in the court of law, but also literally and sort of metaphorically at the uh, union meeting. Right. But my question to both of you is, does it feel weird in a movie that's ostensibly about female empowerment to essentially give the moment in the movie to Richard Jenkins? Oh. And that moment, just just for the listener, that moment is after Charlize is at the union meeting. Yeah. And she sort of has her time, which apparently there's a time limit for her and nobody else. 
Richard Jenkins then goes up and sort of finishes what she started. Yeah. And that is, like, the moment in the movie. And it felt, to me, weird that in this movie about strong women and about women standing up for themselves, that the speech that people are going to remember comes from Richard Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. So let me just start by saying, well, I like this movie and I think it's a good film. It does have problems. And that to me is one of the problems. I wrote down in in my notes, dad is literally standing up for his daughter, like stands up in the crowd and says like all this stuff like about like, don't say that to my daughter. And then I wrote one speech by one man can do it. You know, like it really kind of bothered me that up until this moment, it was all her. And then a guy sort of had to come in and swoop and steal the moment of glory like that. That that was, I feel sort of a fault of this movie. I mean, I got so much, there's so much more to unpack about this. I didn't know we were jumping straight to that moment. <laughs> well, that was, that was the biggest thing that came to me. Like, I know that we, we jump really to the heart of the yeah, matter here yeah. that we gloss over so much, but I just it just struck a chord with me. And also the mm-hmm. same similarly, when they're in the courtroom, Woody Harrelson has his moment yes. where he's screaming at Hawkeye. He's like, red or yellow, red or yellow. And I'm <laughs> like, that feels too like that's his moment. Yeah, yeah. And Charlize has a lot of really good moments, but it feels like the two biggest ones in this movie, again, a movie about women standing up for themselves, are both from men and yeah. it just it's it's a little sad the the courtroom thing i noticed that a little less i guess because the women end up standing up at the end of that but definitely during the union meeting i was like this is a moment where charlie should be screaming and the women should be like sort of standing up with her and her dad like should not really should just sort of be sitting there in shame i guess like should not have taken the mic so long long answer short that did bother me it's possible too that they're hewing to what actually happened this is based on a not just a true story but a i believe a book a nonfiction book about the events and i think they're obviously making changes and i it does feel like if you're not if they're good if they want to save the women standing up for the courtroom then maybe at the union meeting that maybe richard jenkins you see his turn as he quiets the crowd and then gives the mic back to her and allows her to finish her speech like i i, I do agree there's uh, her moments are don't come in sort of the hero moments of the movie it's interesting to match this to a movie we talked about on Cinemakers, Aaron Brockovich, uh, another sort of, you know, kind of courtroom drama, a woman down on her luck standing up for herself, having to find ways to sort of discover new skills and all and all this and operate in, in a world that is predominated by men. And it feels like they're able to give her... Aaron Brockovich, Julie Roberts, those moments in that movie in a way that I th- it does feel in the in the climax that they kind of miss that a little bit for Charlize. I, I think that's true. I'm glad you brought up Aaron Brockovich because when this movie starts and we see sort of a single mom doing it for herself and like, you know, she's in charge and she's working for herself and we don't know exactly like what her scenario is and it's also related to the law and related to the courtroom. So I was like, oh, Aaron Brockovich. And then I sort of lose that thread as the movie goes on a little bit, but I'm glad that you mentioned it because it did give me those vibes really early on. I do also want to say, Mike, that like, it feels like more prominent than any other setting for any Charlize movie, she's always finding herself in courtrooms. <laughs> That's funny. I wrote down court and I also wrote down accent because I feel like I can't, I don't even know what her real voice is anymore. <laughs> like she has used that less than an accent in the whatever number of movies we've watched by now, but the average of there is high. This is, you know, it's obviously a Minnesota accent. Apparently they didn't do a dialect coach. They just went to local bars and talked to locals and 
figured out how to speak like them. But you're like, I didn't think about the accent because every like it's so the really only thought that I gave to the accent is like, oh, Francis McDormand is back from Fargo. Like that just mm-hmm. you know that's what I thought. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of like everybody's speaking. I think everybody's for the most part doing pretty well or if somebody wasn't i sort of was able to block it out and not be bothered by it they're being subtle about it they're not doing the full the full fargo and i think that was smart in this case i I don't get it at all from woody i don't expect it from him either really i just feel like he's sort of in a class by himself not that he's like a better actor or anything i just feel like his niche is to be woody harrelson in movies and stuff and like i I wasn't expecting him to really disguise himself with an action but like you know when sean bean who's a brit right like he's a british guy like when he sort of slides into it i'm like oh okay this dude he actually and i'm glad he doesn't die it's like one of the few movies where he doesn't die like this and national (laughs) treasure just real quick uh, so on imdb that's a piece of trivia that he doesn't die and 47 of 50 people found this interesting like he's so known to die that when he doesn't it's like this like celebratory event yeah and he's great and he's like the only yeah, he's good he's like the only guy i'm cheering for because like even woody has a moment where she's like so you're only doing this because it's never been done before and he looks her dead in the eye and is like yeah that's about it like i don't really care about like the issue i just care about the fame or whatever and stuff i've got more to say about that character later but like i don't know i, I quite like all the actors here I think everybody's doing a good job in whatever role they have and and I quite I quite like the sort of fractured time structure they didn't go overboard with that but but some of the reveals were good I, I definitely thought Hawkeye was the father turned out not to be you know mm-hmm. stuff yeah. like that was was kind of clever yeah Hawkeye's a real piece of shit oh movie. my <laughs> god dude like <laughs> yes. where was this before Hurt Locker because oh yeah I, that's yes. like okay because yeah. I've only heard of Jeremy Renner from Hurt Locker that was the first time I heard of him but to think that he was throwing down performances like this and I didn't I hadn't heard of him like I feel kind of ashamed myself not to be up on him it's like oh man like he is so crazy in this movie this was two years before Hurt Locker so there's a chance that they that you know Catherine Bigelow or casting directors or whoever saw him in this movie and was like oh we can do like he can do this like he can carry a movie I mean obviously we've seen him go on and do things like he's great in Wind River uh, he's good in the town, which is like a different kind of like local sort of blue collar community, but similar in a lot of ways. But he's apparently been acting since like '95. It looks like so he was he was a decade into his career by this point when this movie came out. He had a big big break in a movie called Dahmer, where he plays Jeffrey, a young Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, oh. and and I can't remember if it was a TV movie or a movie movie. I can't, I can't remember. But that was sort of the thing that and it wasn't his first movie role, but there'd been a lot of TV before that. I think my memory is that people had a hard time figuring out what to do with him after that. Like he's apparently very good, and I think I've seen that. Um, but he's apparently very good in it. But people don't know what to do with you after you've been sort of. Dahmer and Jeffrey Dahmer. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's uh, the, it took it took a while to sort of find his find his place, but I I had the same kind of experience. I forgot the, I'd seen this movie when it was in the theater. And I forgot uh, that he was in it, and I forgot that Richard Jenkins was in it. I forgot a lot of people were in it. In both for Jeremy Renner and for Richard Jenkins, I had the feeling of th- I, when they showed up on screen, I thought, okay, here's our chance to, to see were they always as good as we think of them now, <laughs> and we just didn't we weren't aware of it. Were they always turning in those those kind of level of performances? And I think for both those guys, it's it's true. I think they're both awfully good in this movie. And I think that uh, yeah, it's, it, but it's interesting to think about where it fits in his career. Talking about just quickly about Richard. Jenkins, I was asking you guys before we started recording about Bill Nighy, 
And he said that in an interview that he regards Richard Jenkins' performance in this film as one of the finest in motion picture history, which is very wow. high praise, obviously. And I read that before I started watching it, and for a while, I guess you can sort of sense that there's going to be a come, like a, he's going to come around to see the light, if you will. You know, knowing that, I was watching his performance, he's not in the movie a ton, and he's sort of just like shuffling around in the background, and you see that he is sort of, in a way, like, eventually sort of giving in to the family and you know he he hates this what he doesn't know is a rape grandchild right because i i got the impression i'm sorry i'm i'm all over the place but i got the impression that when she admits in the courtroom that it's a rape baby like she had never told anybody right is that the impression that you guys got yeah yeah that that's the impression i got he just thinks that this grandson of his is like this bastard from who knows where it came where he came from and is disgusted with his daughter because of it and as the movie goes on he sort of you know becomes a little bit more involved and goes to the son's hockey or the grandson's hockey game and all this different stuff and he sort of is a little bit more active and a little bit like he's sort of softening a little bit but I still wasn't seeing it and then we get to the court the the union scene and then we get like beyond that like we talked about and it's just oh there's that performance shining through but what I do want to say is that like you know, he's always been, not only has he always been good, but he always has apparently looked the exact yeah, right. same. Like, he looks <laughs> yeah. the same in 2006 as he does in 2018. The one thing about this performance of his in particular that struck me is that up to this point anyway, I haven't seen all of his films, but it's very much unlike the type of character I've seen him play before. Like, I, I see him as a great character actor, but he's mostly playing nice guys or, I don't know, most recently I think of Shape of Water, you know, like that type of role where, or um, Burn After Reading where he's not really, like, the take charge type of guy all the time or anything, but he's also, I've never seen him so scary or mean or have that weight of that anger or whatever he's all that he's not usually so cruel cruel yeah that cruelty i mean even like that what he's you know he's horrible towards his own blood his own daughter um and i feel like the character is well written in the sense that he has like these micro revelations throughout the movie that he doesn't even want to acknowledge until that scene in the end where it's just like all comes to him you know he, he he finds a way to express himself uh, that everyone will understand with that sort of talking about at the picnic we don't talk to each other's wives and daughters like this and he's like well my daughter is working here right with us so what's you know like what's the difference like I really bought that moment up until then when he turns and he comes through and everything and uh, I, I actually didn't expect it exactly at that moment I thought he was going to walk out of the meeting to be quite honest and then I thought we were going to get that you know in between or later on or I knew we would get that moment I just wasn't sure when but yeah it it definitely pays off big time and i feel like that's sort of weird about this movie in that it's ultimately kind of predictable but you also don't know when the things that you know are going to happen are actually going to happen yeah because that moment kind of stole the thunder from charlize right like his moment came but it was in the way of hers or something it seemed sort of off times or something. Yeah, something doesn't quite work in this movie. It, it seems like it has, and I remember this from the very first time I saw it, it seems like it has all the things that it, it needs. It seems, and, and for me, it's going to, you know, scratch the itch of the Aaron Brockovich. Like, I love that kind of movie, a person standing up against the system, and, and especially in this context where you have this this woman who's sort of at long last uh, standing up for herself and other women in this in this way. 
and I don't, and there, it's good, got great actors. It's full of great performances. Yeah, it's hard to know what there. It feels like there are a few uh, enough small things that don't quite work. That then, yeah, I, I, it doesn't quite hang together for me. Part of it for I feel what you, I feel what you're saying, Tobin, because I think that's why I didn't give it like four or five stars. I've been down more to like three, three and a half or something on yeah. this because it's all there and most of it's executed really well. There's just like certain times where it feels like it's off track maybe some of that comes from the fictionalized version you know you're you're trying to maybe adapt or jam so much into i mean i i don't know what's harder fictionalizing a a true life story or adapting a true life event or adapting a book or you know what i'm saying like i feel like you run into different types of problems but you still got problems about an uneven plot or tone or things like that might come through so i don't know if maybe something like that could have been ironed out maybe the focus needed to be a little more charlie's only i don't know another thing about this that it's just like as a man you know watching this movie i feel like shit and like rightfully too i feel you know like the men in this movie you know i feel like as bad as we saw they're probably a hundred times worse to these women that is very effective watching this like it i feel all that come through on the screen so like well, I say it's a good movie. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to has a much rewatchability to it because of stuff like that. But it is effective in that manner. I think that's where a lot of my stars come from. Is like, oh, this is really making me like react. All of the things that happened in this movie actually happened to women in real life. That there was a bit of trivia on IMDb that said. All the harassment depicted in the movie really happened to various women. Two women were trapped in porta potties that were tipped while they were inside. Side note, the uh, inside of this porta potty was made of Gatorade, Cocoa Puffs, and pumpkin pie filling. So, yeah. as gross as it is in real life and gross as it looks in the movie, kind of a delicious <laughs> concoction for this. But uh, miners ejaculated onto female miners' clothes and lockers three times, and many more incidents of harassment occurred than can be shown in a two hour movie. So, you're absolutely right, Mike. Like, you know, what we see here is like despicable and gross and terrible. At the same time, it just. It's like the tip of the iceberg, probably. Yeah. And it get, maybe it's an unfair comparison to be, in some ways, to be comparing it to Aaron Brockovich. But I think what it ultimately is for me, because since it has uh, all these great performances and good actors and uh, these these strong images, as you've just, just talked about, I mean, these things are sort of horrific to watch. I think it maybe it's in the filmmaking itself, like internally within the scenes. It's the, it does. I don't feel like the filmmaking is doing much more, like the sh- shot-to-shot filmmaking is doing much more than capturing the performances. And that's fine, but you think about the way that Soderbergh is you know, using his camera and his editing in Aaron Brockovich and, and getting into uh, her point of view in a way that this this feels a little bit more, and I don't I don't mean this entirely in a pejorative way, but a little bit more like a late '90s TV movie where we just, like they're on maybe because it's, like, it's a small budget and they have to race through it and they have so much to get, and so you just kind of get what you can and get the get, concentrate on getting the performances. But as a result, then and maybe then also add to that the idea that they're leaving out some of that they're not giving Charlize the kind of hero moments at the end. What you're left with is it just doesn't. Quite white pack the wallop that you're hoping or expecting it to. You know, I actually thought about Soderbergh once or twice watching this because I like how he sort of explores a community in a way. Like we were mm. talking about with Mosaic, how he really like used the murder mystery backdrop to explore like the affluent community, that ski community that where it was taking place. And, and he's done that before. I felt like this movie could have done a lot more of that and 
didn't take advantage like that's one thing another and another thing as, as far as like actual filmmaking like goes like there is just so many aerial shots of like mm-hmm. the mine and the mine and then the mine again and then the mine like there's kind of a redundant sort of quality to the filmmaking itself in this like it's you're right it's not really standing out and trying to do anything more with the shots really i only really found one instance where there was any kind of like anything to really decode in a shot or any like i was uh-huh. looking you know mm-hmm. uh, and there's just one moment when she meets woody harrelson i think they're talking at the hockey match He's wearing like a black shirt and the collar's open a little and he's got a white shirt underneath so it makes him look like a priest. And I was like, oh, this movie's like doing everything it can to say to say this is a good guy, like subconsciously, just so you know mm-hmm. uh, immediately like he's not going to be a dickhead <laughs> like everyone else. Like he looks like, he literally looked like a priest in that shot. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to look for little clues. Like is the movie tipping its hat in any other ways? And no, I don't really think it was. So that that could be a thing that is just visually not doing more than it could or taking advantage of stuff that way. Now, does that fall on the director or does that fall on the set design or like, is that the props department? Like, is that everything? Like, what is it about, like, who sort of didn't fully tell the story that the way it could have been told. I, I just think there's a lack of visual metaphor in this movie. I, you, not to keep using Soderbergh, but you think about a movie I like that you didn't as much. Think about Bubble and the way that what they did at that factory with, with the dolls and the way that they were presented around that machinery underscored what was going on. And in this case, you do get shots of her working. You get shots of her scraping stuff down. And it's really muddy. And but like, I wanted to sort of get in there and feel like what it was, what it was feeling like. You know, to not not necessarily the harassment stuff because I think you do get some of that. Yeah. I, I, so I think I think ultimately it comes it comes down to the director sort of leading the whole team to sort of say, okay, we're gonna if you're doing this in props, then we're gonna capture it this way with the camera and we're going to find ways to sort of underscore or Mike as you're saying sort of give give the audience clues and things to, to things that are going on under, underneath what we're seeing it just kind of presents it all as text in a way and I think that as a result there's some moments that really stand out where, where performances do em, you know emerge in a way in, in smaller moments but there's nothing there's nothing else sort of holding that up I think yeah I, I think though what this does have sort of keeping it together and holding it up in a way is the subject matter right like that yeah. carry i feel like that carries a lot of weight that goes a, a long distance so i feel like it handles that really well and like you said tobin like i feel the harassment but yeah i don't you're right i don't really feel the rest of it as much and i think the other thing that's holding it up is just charlize's performance in the center of all this like mm-hmm. she's really good yeah. not to again compare it to monster like we were at the top but like we are firmly in the stage of her career where she can fully carry a movie it just happens to be once again a movie that i don't want to see again i do think that two of her best performances and i mean obviously according to the academy are like this and monster and it's almost like you can't recommend either movie because like, <laughs> you don't want to make like you can't recommend either without being like hey so uh just so you know know it gets real real heavy (laughs) you might be depressed but she's really good in it and i want to find more movies that are like fun and good and like you know the equivalent of like a man of tai chi or like a a flying or something where it's just like hey the movie like it won't take anything out of you and keanu is great in it or whatever but here it's like yeah if you want to be like real depressed and like sort of hate all men yeah she's great in this but good luck yeah and that's the thing too it's like right from the jump it's heavy 
uh, and it never lets up. Like the opening scene, yeah, right, right. She gets beaten by her husband, and they leave, and that's the cold open. You know, like the pre-credits, <laughs> she gets punched in the face by her husband and leaves him. Like it never gets. There's no levity. Like maybe there's a mo- moment or two with Francis with Franny McD because I love her. You know that character who gets Lou Gehrig's disease for Christ's sake. Like is you know the strongest of the strong and and just because of the virtue of her character always sort of seeing the bright side and that kind of thing like thank goodness you know a minor moment of that was in this movie but yeah a minor moment or a minor moment but um, (laughs) but but yeah because this is this is very heavy this is a heavy drama serious retelling of serious events and stuff so you're right this sort of has like a bumper warning on it yeah uh, it is kind of oppressive the overall tone or at least relentless in that way and maybe it could have there, there could have been more more levity when you do get it from Frances McDormand it's often very dark because it's after she I guess there's some before but also after she has been diagnosed and we know what's going on with her and she's losing control of her body and she is very darkly funny in those moments but but she's but she's also losing control of her body which makes that hard to watch and I'd, I'm not saying all this to say this is a bad movie it's not bad it just it feels like a pretty good movie that could have been great or like a well like a well made movie that isn't that, that that had all this potential to be something more than that and i don't think it i don't think it transcends itself it's just less than the sum of its parts like, yes, I don't think there's exactly bad exactly. in yeah. here it just right. doesn't gel together mm-hmm. one thing that i did like and it does it, it brings us back to the maybe the darkest moment in the entire movie we get for the first time question mark young charlize and not only do we get young charlize we've had her we had her at, that, who, we where, had her um she wasn't didn't she visit a fortune teller as a child and then, oh right in uh <laughs> head in the clouds head in the clouds yeah yeah yes but the more notable thing, I don't know if you recognized her, that is Amber Heard. No. Yes, yes. I did yep. not pick that up. Wow. I'm telling Cage you, Club everybody's award in winner. this movie. Everybody's in this movie. That's incredible. Cage Club Award winner for Best Non-Cage Role Female from Drive Angry 3D. <laughs> I do terrific. feel like she, either A, I don't know what she looks like, or B, she just, I, something changed where she like looks different now than she did then. Because I've seen yes. her young in a couple of movies, and it's always weird. Like, I don't recognize her immediately. And I looked up, I'm like, oh, who plays Young Josie? It's like, oh my god, okay. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe I just don't know what she looks like. Maybe that's my problem. No, no, there's there's a thing I feel, I don't know how old she is in this movie, but I know, it's funny, it's like, you don't see sort of like a not a child actor but like a teen actor or something like that for a little while and then like they just appear like on the tonight show and they're adults suddenly and they look mm-hmm. so drastically different and you're like holy shit i have to like rewire my brain i mean and, like that's what Elle fanning looks like now because she's like you know an adult <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. i'm so used to seeing her as a little kid or whatever and stuff so that sometimes comes into play you know just quickly going back to like i wonder you know if this wasn't such a sort of star-studded quote-unquote like hollywood you know because this feels like the hollywood version of this story i wonder uh-huh. if this was on a more shoestring budget if they could have gotten you know maybe a little tighter i don't want them i mean they look it, it goes dark but like you know maybe they could have found something else in there with the focus as opposed to like some of the moments maybe i'm getting at what i'm getting at is some of the moments feel very contrived that you would get in a movie that's sort of oscar bait or yes, trying to yes. appeal to them you know appeal right. to the masses like if that was removed that element from this like the I feel like the studio wasn't so sort of like looming over this in a way 
I feel like there's your version, like right there. Like it maybe it would not be, I mean, it would probably be just as oppressive. Like, I think that's part of the point. Like we're only as we're only experiencing like a, a fraction right, right. of what people go through all day long, just, and we're just watching a two hour movie of it. So I think that might be a little more of the point, but like, I do feel like maybe it's just too big, like in general, you know, if they just stripped it down a little more, they could have found like the core there. Well, I think they tried to strip it down. I think they just try to focus on mostly on Charlize but it also sort of bleeds over into her co-workers also including we did not, not mention her name yet Michelle Monaghan yes. in this movie so good yeah yes. another true de- uh, true detective with Woody Harrelson so there's another Harrelson connection hell yeah oh also I want to say I just I just scrolled by him in my notes Timothy Spall is in this movie too the guy from uh, House of Cards and from Ant-Man so Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man. Hawkeye are in this and they, they're not in suits and it's like 10 years <laughs> before they join the MCU <laughs> it's crazy Corey Stoll also in this movie the Hank Jennings from Twin Peaks. Yes, Chris Mulkey. He is in this. And also, I thought it was funny that there is a character, I think, uh, yeah, uh, Richard Jenkins and Charlie's are named Hank and Josie, and that's other Twin Peaks character yes, names. So I'm just like, good mm, this is a very weird Twin Peaks connection. Good call. Yeah, Corey Stoll's in the movie. Oh, House of Cards, is that the guy you were talking about? Yeah, oh, I said Timothy Spall. Yeah. Timmy, Corey Stoll. Who, uh, yeah, that's what that's right, okay. I meant. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bald guy. Who's that, what was that show on FX with the, the weirdo uh, oh, like the zombie invasion? The Strain. The Strain, yes. Yeah, oh, the vampire that. zombies or something. Yeah. yeah. The Guillermo del Toro thing, yeah. Uh, Xander Berkeley is in, in this too as one of her sort of immediate supervisor, who I always think of as um, for 24, he was... <laughs> One of the, I can't remember if he was good or bad or what happened to him, but he's been in a million things. It's the same kind of small character actor thing, and he puts on he's 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 got a little ham going on with his accent and his big mustache and stuff. Oh, but, that big mustache! Yeah, <laughs> but he's he's always fun to see. While we're just naming names, Sissy Spacek too. Yeah, of oh, course, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing that was kind of I was I guess. I didn't realize I wanted it until I realized I was missing it. But like at the very end when like women or people like everyone starts standing up and it's like, well, who's that person? Where's that woman? Like, I don't remember this person in the movie the whole time. Like I, there's something then it occurred to me, like we're only seeing like five or six of these women. Right. And there's like, how many are there supposed to be like 13 or 14 or something or that I didn't realize I was missing out. Like, I wish I could have seen maybe, like, because Joey just mentioned, you know, we sort of branch out in the middle a little bit and we sort of follow this for a thread or something. And, you know, Frances McDormand definitely has her thread. So, like, it would have been cool maybe to see a little more of that. Like, that's another way we could have focused different direction i mean again I'm, i don't again like i'm not trying to i don't know why i'm trying to fix a movie that i like necessarily <laughs> but i mean just saying like it would have been interesting to see a little more of that explored since that is what so much of the um focus is on like we get the tupperware not a tupperware party but like a like a mary Kay cosmetics con- yeah, yeah 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 like they i feel like they tried to sneak some of it into that scene but they had to also compromise and make it you know a scene about earning extra income and and everything like that so i I mean again there's flourishes there but i i see those flourishes and i'm like oh i wish that was just like more i wish that was just more than well also another reason why you might not have recognized women standing up in the courtroom at the end is because a lot of the people are not maybe a lot of people but a handful of the women standing up were actual plaintiffs in the real life case they're not women from the movie they're women from that this was based on I guess okay that makes a little more sense now it's like okay the end of the movie let's like try and yeah I was (laughs) I I see what they were doing there but then again that like again that's like an Oscar moment you know what I'm saying like that's not like to me that's not 
working for the story because yeah. I'm like, well, who is this person? Where did she come right. from? I never seen her before. Right. So, and you know what? What I was thinking of, Mike, in terms of like Oscar moments and in terms of like powerful endings in courtrooms, what works I think better. What I think I'm going to remember more than Red or Yellow is the Gimme Ten Steps from Oh yeah. Men of Honor. Yeah, well, Men of Honor, I is just a great it's a different movie but i like that movie more i think that has less flaws but you're right like that resonates more this the stuff between woody and hawkeye is just i was like where is this going like why is this a suddenly their movie and that yeah. was a little strange they went very in on that and i think the problem with this comes from something else that i read on imdb was that like for the sake of the movie they condensed like a bunch of trials yeah. into one trial. Yeah. Oh, good. It makes sense within the scope of the movie that we're not going from courtroom to courtroom and trial to trial, like everything's just in one, that it goes from being, you know, her trial to the class action lawsuit, all this different stuff. It does feel, though, when you do it like that, that like Jeremy Renner gets broken down from like this bravado guy to nothing in a matter of like 45 seconds just because he has his manhood called out. Like, that felt obvious i don't know if that's the right word but you know what i mean yeah. it's just like it's too easy the the, the yeah, whole exactly. the whole courtroom scene is poppycock there's just nothing in there that like that's part of it for me too is that and that's in i blame the writing as much as the directing in that that i just think that they haven't by bending reality so much i i just i i'm not buying it i do want to mention though there were a couple places now that i think of it where this, uh where we were more in her perspective that i think worked really well one of them is that before Perez and Charlie's. Yes, yeah, sorry, in, in Charlie's point of view, um, one of them in in uh, based on where the camera was. I'm thinking about in in scene camera work that that works in this movie that I think there there should have been more of. There's one moment where before she has the job at the mine, she's having a gynecological exam, uh, and we see Ugh. it. We see it. It's shot from her point of view, looking up at her knees uh, out over the the top of her gown, and then the doctor comes out and says, oh, it looks all good or whatever. And then you realize that she's having it done at the behest of the company. She has to have to know she's not pregnant before they hire her. The sense of violation and yeah, the ugh is just exactly what I think you're supposed to be feeling in that moment. And it's captured really well through not just having, oh, okay, here's what's going on, but putting us in her point of view first. And then in the course of the scene, revealing the, the insidious nature of what's actually happening. And by doing that, 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 that moment then resonates more than a lot of the other moments in the movies. I wish there had been more of things like that. And there was one other little moment in that scene, and I don't know if it was just sort of weird set decoration or placement or if it was actually how it was, but like the doctor does his examination, writes down his notes or whatever, hands her the box of tissues, then goes to leave, and like basically opens the door onto her legs. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like her legs are just basically pointed at the door, and it's just like, oh, that's that's terrible. And I don't know if that's like, you know, I don't know if that's normal, because I know that probably in most well I don't know about most doctor's offices maybe you don't have the, pa- the table facing the door so that like anybody walking by can get like a sh- like an upskirt shot of like <laughs> any pa- it's just whether that's intentional or unintentional it's just like another layer of violation that I was like ugh yeah. yeah that I think what that that sequence did really well was it just definitely disoriented me because I had to take a moment and go wait a minute she's not at her doctor she's at the company doctor right now and that's hammered home in the next scene when she shows up for work and the fucking foreman is like hey doc said you look great under them clothes i'm like holy shit like it's already started (laughs) like again (laughs) rulo numero uno gotta take a joke ladies 
I mean, yeah. give me a fucking break. I was like, oh shit. That's when I really knew. Like, I think that doc that that visit was when I really knew. I was like, okay, this is gonna be a sit. Like, I'm gonna have yeah. to. Yeah. I'm gonna have to make myself watch this movie. But I'm gonna make myself watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. The least we can do is watch it, as uh, given that people endured it. Absolutely. Another moment that I think worked really well is there's a uh, a scene at a hockey game where Charlize is where a girl, a young woman, a like teenager, walks up to Charlize and said uh, that her son is going to go stay at her house. She's introduced herself as her son's as, as uh, Charlize's son's girlfriend and says she's going to come stay with me. And Charlize didn't, you know, says my son has a girlfriend? And like, oh no he's not, goes racing out into the parking lot and like yanks him out of the car and, and he says something like you're you're a, he calls her a whore, just like everybody says you are. That whole fight scene in that out in that parking lot. I, I that's a moment where I was I was not at all aware. I was sort of watching a thing. I'm sort of watching these actors have this moment and the pain that must inflict that it clearly inflicted on Charlie's character in that moment to have her son sort of side with everybody else against her given all that she's trying to do for him. And I just it's I think I thought that worked. I thought that scene worked really well. Yeah, that was a great moment. I was like, "Oh my goodness, like this it's really shit is really hitting the fan here." Yeah, like yeah. we're getting it. And then there's a lot of really great shots in that sequence too of the townspeople yes yes right. and every reaction is priceless <laughs> it's yeah. like it, it just varies from shock to like here we go again or to like i told you so to like what's going on to like i can't believe it like it's just it's great that that is a great sequence yeah i like that a lot and what i liked about it is that i feel like you've seen that move or that scene in a bunch of movies or like you know an overreaction like a very public fight in a parking lot especially like at a school or at a, a hockey game or whatever you know what i mean mm-hmm. But what's interesting about the way that the movie is set up is that we know that Charlize is in the right here, that she's been blindsided a few times, that she's not this whore that the town thinks she is or everything like that. And I think it's rare that you see the sort of the, the center, the central battle or whatever. You, you know that it's actually like a misunderstanding, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like normally you like see it sort of from the outside, but like, oh, like, look at like what that, like, I don't know what that could be about or whatever. Right. But here you're like, oh no, like that's like, it's all like nobody understands what's going on except for us and for Charlize. Right. Which I just thought was like sort of like an interesting kind of sort of reversal. Another thing that struck me too is about just how this is like an extremely tight-knit community in a very small town so like if you don't hear it if you don't hear the gossip at the hairdresser you're going to hear the gossip at the mine so i mean it's very hard to mind your own business it feels and i feel like the movie got that across so like everybody knows her past everybody mm-hmm. knows right. that like she's had these kids and she's unmarried and then they call her like a lesbian just because she wants to you know provide for herself it's just crazy like they, everyone is passing judgment on her and in that scene it's when she's just like I don't give a fuck you could judge me all you want like it doesn't matter because you're not right like I am in the right here and so that's a really strong moment that might be the Oscar moment I have to go check the Oscars that year and see if that's the clip they showed but I would have I don't have any other notes about the movie I do have other trivia about the movie that when in that union meeting that we were talking about before the heckling was unscripted which I think is sort of an interesting daring choice but it was so authentic apparently that Charlize didn't want to know, like, they didn't rehearse that, like, they just shot it. And apparently the, the crowd was so into it that it took Richard Jenkins five minutes to quiet the crowd down. Wow. And in that time, Charlize Jesus. says that she broke out in hives. She said, that was, I think, in my entire career, the most devastating thing I've ever encountered. You know that you are in a movie, 
right? That you know that you are playing a character, but you also have an entire room full of people playing characters, but also in your brain, it's an entire room of people, like, calling you a whore and, you know, saying, you know, we don't want you here, and, like, that's gonna be terrible. Especially not knowing what they're saying, or, like, what they're gonna say. I I wonder, now that you said that sort of some of the defendants made those cameos at the end, if these are real union members, you know, if they do some shots around the crowd here and they look like real faces to me at times and so maybe they were really getting that out for real you know what i'm saying like if maybe they weren't acting i don't know it could have been one of those moments where it just sort of like overtook everything overtook the production <laughs> it's like oh shit like this is what it was must have really been like when she tried to make that speech because like we are not getting a word in edgewise and we can't calm this crowd down that that's kind of crazy for all that we've talked at the beginning that it's sort of steal Charlize's moment it is that is a really effective scene though I think I, and I and the time you know it's not five minutes in the movie Dick they've cut they've cut it down you know as Richard Jenkins is waiting for her to give him the mic you hear them in the background and it and she doesn't know if he's going to like stand up for her or basically take the mic and tell her to go sit down that's i I did think that was really effective and you do so want richard jenkins to turn at that moment like you want him to sort of finally be a good guy and i think that the the tension and timing in that scene work you know work to the movie's advantage again we uh, if only they had given her allowed her to share that moment a little bit more but as as the moment goes sort of absent the, the its place in the movie it's pretty effective while we're talking about Charlize, she was based on Lois Jensen, who started working in the mines in 1975 and endured 13 years of harassment wow. before filing her first lawsuit. So in here, it seems like she's around maybe for a couple of weeks or a couple yeah, of months, yeah. possibly. Right. But 13 years in real life. It was eventually settled in 1998, 10 years after it was first filed, and over 20 years after the harassment began. By the time Jensen received compensation from the company in 1999, her children were grown and she was too disabled to work. So it took, like, that's the nature of, you know, our legal system, really. It's, you bring something up in 1998 after you, or 1988, it gets settled 11 years later because they just run it out, I guess. And then ultimately, like, it's important and, like, it it leads to precedence and stuff. But at the same time, you wish that the women in the moment get some kind of compensation, like, or at least, you know, reform the workplace. Like, who knows what happened, what changed, if things changed, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, they the legislation ends up changing eventually, right? And I guess in the movie they say, like, that's uh, ultimately what they were fighting for. So it sucks that it took so long, but that is, they did win, right? Like, that is a victory, so, I mean... I would be in- it was worth it, right? Like, Yeah. I, I would be interested to see a more true-to-the-events take somehow, whether you just come in on it. Imagine, I'm trying to imagine how you would tell the story, and I think today it might end up being a miniseries, right? You do it over you know, 10 episodes and, and cover 10 years of the trial or something, or, you know, like there, there'd be a way, I think the, the decisions that they made in terms of truncating it here, I can't remember which one of you said it. I I think Mike, it was you that like, they went for the more Hollywood moments when, when given the choice and that, that sort of, I think that does kind of weaken it a little bit. I, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously you have to make choices and you have to change things and things have to be, you have to collapse characters and all that kind of stuff, but you could really feel the collapsing in this movie, especially again in that courtroom scene. And I, I think that it does a disservice to the story a little bit uh, to do that. Do you think like it does a disservice to the women, to the actual survivors? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. That's hard for me to speak to from my experience because you do really 
feel like there's no question that the that they've gone through some horrible horrible things and that they do in 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 some sense come out on top but i feel like maybe you don't maybe we don't understand quite the sacrifices that they had to make in real life to get that done in terms of like standing up for themselves through the course of the trial and you know choosing to abandon or stay in the jobs or whatever like you're you're you get kind of nods to that stuff but it ends up sort of focusing on other things and i at the expense of some of that probably sacrifice, some of the sacrifice that they had to go through. And as a result, I think, I don't know, not maybe not a disservice, but it doesn't paint the picture. I think a different treatment of this material could paint that picture more clearly and, and maybe more accurately. And I think what's tough is that the movie really doesn't give a sense of how long this was going on for. I mean, you sort of assume that, like, it's been going on since they started hiring women. Like, at the beginning of the movie, we get that, like, opening title card or whatever that, you know, they hired the first female minor in 1975 or whatever, which I guess might have been this Jensen woman. And I don't, know, I don't know how to say this without sort of sounding callous, but, like, the women who are in the movie, the female characters who have been at the mine for a while are these, like, older women these sort of heavier set women you know less attractive then you bring in Charlie Theron and Michelle Monaghan are both gorgeous it's sort of like does this weird disservice kind of to they movie fight it's like oh if you look like a certain kind of woman you're gonna be able to handle like they're not they're gonna bother you but they're not gonna really bother you but like if you look like yeah. this other kind of woman then like if you look like a movie star uh-huh. then they're uh-huh. really gonna bother you and like that's the only time that change is gonna happen because you have to have like the courage and the looks to pull this off like just sort of it sort of yeah. feels strange and I guess that goes back to what Mike was saying what you just brought up again Tobin with like Hollywoodification of a kind of story like this yeah I, I guess it maybe it's like beauty washing in a way right like you bring in like the beautiful star to play mm-hmm. the central role so everyone pays attention and they want to look at them so they'll keep paying attention and and everything and I guess that is a little less credible ultimately if that's but I mean that again that's unfortunate that's that's Hollywood and I mean for me the main point is that the movie got made at all I think that is a huge victory in and of itself like this movie could come out tomorrow right and be just as like important like th- these issues like yeah there's legislation and all but these things are still happening like hardcore like we yep. hear about this shit every day and it's like mm-hmm. the more things change the more they stay the same so in a way i want to say like it's too bad that they had to like wash some of this a little bit to make it go down easier but on the other hand i want to say like at least it got out there and at least there's a version of it that we can see and i was affected by it at least yeah, so yeah right no matter how sort of, I mean, I'm assuming it's mostly true to life, whether how true to life it is, we know that the women were in the courtroom scene at the end. Charlize spent time with some of them to get to know them personally, and she said, she spent as much time as I possibly could with the women. They don't wallow in self-pity. They're survivors. So whether or not the story was Hollywoodified or whether it was simplified, which we obviously know it was, I think, like you're saying, Mike, that they have to just be happy and proud that not only... Were they able to eventually achieve this like legal victory, but they're also able to like tell this story and sort of share it with the world, anchored by a woman who had just won an Oscar a couple of years before. So that's it's good that it happened. Right. I'm glad this movie exists for sure. 
My last little bit of trivia is that during the fight scene, Woody Harrelson actually swung at Chris Mulkey and accidentally broke his nose, oh, no. which is why there's no shot of Mulkey's face at the end, probably, because he's probably all bloody or maybe just not even on set anymore. Oh. So They should have just worked that into the movie. Like, that <laughs> character was such an asshole, like, deserved a broken nose. <laughs> now, Tobin, do you have any other notes, any other thoughts about North Country before we try to get into this game that, like, I, again, we're going we're gonna to explain this game and sort of very slowly explain it every time <laughs> these yeah. next ten episodes, Mike, but... Any other thoughts or notes about this movie, Tobin? Uh, one last thing is that the first clue that I had watching this movie that we that we were in for maybe not quite as sophisticated a take on this material as I had hoped for. Sophisticated is maybe not quite the right word. Not, not the choices in terms of the material, how they treat the material that I hoped for. She sees like this dead deer pass on the back of a trailer <laughs> oh, yeah. at the beginning of the yep. movie, which felt like well, maybe the most heavy-handed piece of imagery at the beginning of a movie uh, uh, possible. And I don't still even quite understand what it meant. Like, is she the deer? Or like, I, I don't know what, what she was... I, I, lo- I love that this has thrown you into a quandary. Because <laughs> it feels like it really is... She's staring at this thing as it passes the gas station. It feels like she really is being asked to be read, and I have no clue. So that, that tells me pretty early that, like... We're all the deer, Tobin. Yeah, maybe we that's what it is. We're all the deer. But I think no, it was just that's... saying, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, any other thoughts or notes about this? Or do you want to end on that comedy bang-bang joke? Um, I just want to say Anita Hill. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that shit, so, like... That yeah. was a little weird. I, I mean, that, that was it was. I think that helped more just to s- sort of settle me in what year we were. I, it didn't. I mean, she says once or twice, like Anita Hill, Anita Hill. It was like I don't feel like anyone around her understood what she meant by that necessarily. But like that was kind of interesting. To see that come through. There's also at one point a the Charlize's boss when she goes to meet with him, like the intermediate boss before, you know, the, the top guy who's like, hey, if you have any problems, come to me. And then he eventually says like, oh, we can just, you know, accept your resignation with no two weeks notice. But her intermediate boss has like a penthouse or whatever pin-up calendar on the wall that has a very big 1990 on it. So like, there's like sort of not so subtle ways of like, hey, here's where we are. Okay. So Tobin, yeah. the first 10 episodes of the show, we played a recast game where we recast the main characters if we were remaking this today. Mike and I got burned out by that. We stopped that game. <laughs> yeah. The next 10 episodes, we did a pitch a sequel game, which oh, I don't know how you would do a sequel <laughs> North Country 2, more North, I guess. But we also got burnt out on that, too. So now, our new game, and again, I, with, with dark movies like this, Mike, I don't know how we're going to do it. We are going to try to establish the unified vision of Charlize Theron. We're going to take five random movies, and if you haven't seen some of them, or if you don't know anything about some of them, we can swap (laughs) them out for others. We're going to take four plus this one, and try to connect them all, connect all of our characters, connect all the stories. Interesting. Okay, okay, okay. Sort of establish a a, a Charlize universe throughout five random movies. I love it. I love it. And okay. if, if you've seen if you've seen five, we can do five you've seen as long as we haven't covered them yet. So that's we're only doing ones we've covered so far. Okay, okay, okay. We are yeah, so we're gonna take this one for one. I'm also going to we're gonna just randomly pick five and again if you haven't seen these, yeah, we can skip them. But the ones that we have are nope. <laughs> not gonna do Hollywood confidential, I can tell you that, because that's a TV movie that no one has seen. The Legend of Bagger Vance. Yep. Uh, waking up in Reno. Never seen it. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna undo that one. I think I've only seen four other ones. Let me tell you. The Devil's Advocate. Yeah, I've seen The Devil's Advocate. Yep. The Astronaut's Wife. I've seen The Astronaut's Wife. Wow. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and have you seen Celebrity, the Woody Allen movie? Yes, in the theater. So there we go. 
Oh okay. no. <laughs> well, I was a Kenneth Branagh fan, a huge Kenneth Branagh in high school when that. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm amazed I'm still a Kenneth Branagh fan after watching that movie recently. <laughs> I defended him so much after that movie, and and seeing it again, I was like, oh boy, I was I was so I was yeah I, I was an addict. So we are going to try to connect, try to link, try to intertwine the Devil's Advocate, celebrity, the astronaut's wife, the legend of Bagger Vance, and North Country. <laughs> so we have three in modern day. We have Legend of Bagger Vance in the 30s, maybe, and we have this one in the early to mid 90s. So the big question is, how do we get from the Legend of Bagger Vance to modern day, essentially? Just throwing it out there for anyone to answer. And so are we doing this through, like, the characters in the movie or the people who behind the movie? Characters in the movie. It's just sort okay, of, like, okay. what the movie's about, the characters yeah. in the movie, yeah, the okay, time okay. that they take place, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Right, like, as if... Text to it, text. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Okay, okay, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Which I always had to play with directors and screenwriters and stuff because I could never do actors. We so could I got, also I do that as a possibility. I don't yeah. know how to... <laughs> Although I guess everything would be like, Charlize was in this movie and Charlize was also in this movie. Right. Or we could just right, exclude right. Charlize from it. But yeah, okay. Right. But yeah, no, I, just I got what, you, what we see on yeah. screen. As far, okay, as, okay. Yeah, as far as all these movies are concerned, Bagger Vance, that tournament actually happened. You know, like it's a it's a connected universe. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Who was the guy who played old Matt Damon in Bagger Vance? Was that Jack Lemmon? That was his last yeah. uncredited. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So maybe that's how we connect that one. Well, so I think the easiest connection is North Country's The Devil's Advocate, in that they're lawyers. That Woody Harrelson, after winning oh. this landmark case resumes his law career and ah. goes down to the deep south from the north country to the deep south uh-huh. and meets up with a young upstart lawyer named keanu reeves and the two of them have a, their own law firm together before keanu leaves and goes to new york Holy so we have shit. two of those that's amazing <laughs> that's good yeah okay good good i have kind of a weak link but um, there's no weak links <laughs> Mike. there's all strong links in, in bagger van Charlize is like a super wealthy person who throws the golf tournament in order to yep, save her country yep. club she had a would it be a granddaughter i guess her granddaughter grew up to be north country like her grandmother grew up to be north country goes there and wins the case since she like decided after she won the case she needs to take a break and get away from all this snow so she goes down to florida and runs into a young lawyer that she becomes affiliated with and maybe that's how she gets connected to uh, devil's advocate i don't know what if that goes in order though are we trying to go from i still don't un- fully understand that the game as we play it we're still Still working out the kinks, which uh-huh, I think uh-huh. is fine. Uh-huh. I just don't understand. What do you mean oh, grows oh. up to be North Country? <laughs> the girl from North Country. There's at least like so. Like so, it's her. So yeah, she's like a descendant. It's, yeah, it's like her descendant. That's why they look alike. The family loses all the money, and she ends up sort of like her. Her sister Spacek is the granddaughter or whatever of the beggar Vance lady, and they've lost all their money, right? So she moves up to Minnesota and marries Richard Jenkins, and they have okay. They have Charlize, right? <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. 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 Yep. So we have, we tied in Bagger Vance to this movie, which then ties into The Devil's Advocate. We need to work in Celebrity, which is <laughs> not at all related to this, and also The Astronaut's Wife, which is about aliens. Okay, so this is cool, though, because, okay, so Charlize in North Country stays there, and it's Woody Harrelson that goes to Florida and runs into her doppelganger, right? Like, that's... Oh! What, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, because I remember previously we've had her character continue, and then just someone who looks like her 
be in the same city or something. Yeah, Tobin, the, the two big <laughs> things, the two big crutches that we've relied on in this movie, in this game, and so far again today, is granddaughters and grandmothers and yeah. doppelgangers. Oh, like, okay, that's so, just like, right, okay, oh. So, here's, here's a, here's a, so if Woody Harrelson is the one that goes down and finds her doppelganger in Devil's Advocate, then the actual Charlize character from North Country, who's the great-granddaughter of the Bagger Vance lady, because the um, pressures in the community is so hostile to her now, even though she's winning the case that she ends up having to like, she, like she just she cuts her hair really short, changes her name and moves away, and like maybe leaves the kids with Sissy Spacek and Richard Jenkins and marries Johnny Depp. Oh, okay. So okay. it's like her in witness protection. Do you know what I mean? Like she like <laughs> abandons her life and reinvents herself, and it's like ha- has oh, no past, and that's right? oh, oh and that's why she really wants kids yes, because right. she was a she mom who kids. gave up her kids. Oh. Right. 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 That's much better. I was going to go with Johnny Depp shows up and says he's the real father <laughs> and that her kids are alien babies. But <laughs> too, oh, I like yours. I like the whole, like, <laughs> got to get away from this place. And then at some point they go to the video store and they rent Celebrity on DVD directed by Woody <laughs> Allen. Yes, yes. Oh, no. Well, I think we might have linked Devil's Advocate with Celebrity previously where she goes to New York City with Keanu, but instead of succumbing to the deadly sins of the devil oh, right, she right, 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 right. breaks from him and becomes a hot model and parties all night long and goes overseas to Paris or whatever. <laughs> isn't she like she she in celebrity isn't isn't she that the thing is she can like she every her whole body's an erogenous zone, isn't that the How thing? do you remember that? <laughs> yes. Well I saw it when I was like I don't know, was I twenty? I mean I don't know. Uh, it's stuck in my head. So here's the idea is that the her interactions with the devil in the devil's advocate change <laughs> her into someone who is like change this doppelganger into someone who whose entire body is an erogenous zone, right? So like she, it's through through that sort of like that's like her curse or whatever, right? And so then it's it's the, the doppelganger who ends up being in celebrity who is has has this new quote unquote superpower, right? Yes, I which like is the that. one that Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson meets in Florida, right? right exactly. When he goes right. down there, yes, right. mm-hmm. exactly, perfect. Yep. Oh, and that's like perfect. so in, so in, yeah. So instead of going insane and killing herself, she like accepts the power and controls <laughs> yes. it, and then goes out right. and becomes like a crazy model person. Okay, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Love it. No plot holes. Everything makes total perfect sense. <laughs> well, I, I say it every time. It. I'm not sure if it's a game, but I always have fun doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's super cool. Okay, the last thing that we do on this show is nominate this for the Watch the Throne Awards, the Charlize Theron, Golden Wallpapers maybe, the Golden Teeth. Who knows? So we have Best Film, Worst Film, don't think this qualifies qualifies for either one. Best of the Worst, no. Wildly Inconsistent Tone, no. Craziest Ending, no. Best Charlize Role, I think we probably have to nominate this for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, she's good in this. Josie Ames. Yeah, like all things aside, like she really is like awesome in this role. She definitely deserved that nomination, I think. Not just her, but there's just weird, there's just like some extremely subtle acting moments, like whether it be Jenkins or Jeremy Renner or Charlize, where like, I don't know, I just feel like the scene, the situation in the scene can just explode at any moment or something. So like everybody is playing it really well, like whether they're on edge or they're right on the line or something. So You know what's weird? I just thought of this. I don't know if it's a missed opportunity or I'm glad that it didn't happen, but when they're at that karaoke bar and they're all dancing she's dancing to hit me with your best shot which i'm going to add into the best dancing category because it's tracking all of her dancing scenes in movies 
But then Jeremy Renner gets on the microphone and starts singing, and I was like, I was like, oh, here comes the scene, like here comes like this, you know, confrontation or whatever, like he's gonna do some weird shit, and nothing happens, and I was like, oh, huh, yeah, okay, yeah, I really appreciated yeah. that moment because it's like he's just, yeah, he he can just contain himself, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> um, let's see here, what else? What else? What else? Uh, most wasted performance, no. Manic Pixie Dream Girl, no. Sexist film, no. I mean, it's sexist well, in its subject matter, but well, not yeah. in like the, the actual construction so. of the film. Right, I know, right. right? It doesn't. It's not in what the category was designed for. <laughs> Best character transformation. I mean, she does transform, but not from like victim to alien in the Astronaut's Wife, or from pure <laughs> to dead inside in the Devil's Advocates. So we're gonna skip that. Yeah, and I also it, feel it, like she made like a declaration to herself really early on in the movie where it's like I'm changing yeah. uh, I don't really feel like she changed as much as she overcame or something right she changes the world around her yeah I am going to add in best accent slash voice for Minnesota yeah so that's oh, yeah. that for sure oh you know what just came into my mind um, we were sort of referring to this as the Rosie the Riveter movie for some reason when we had no idea what it was about and it like well she is she's be... wearing a bandana in a lot of the promotional <laughs> it, pictures yeah. for this but like it just occurred to me like it turned out to be like the furthest thing from a Rosie the Riveter type movie really I mean that, that's a whole different story but anyway I just thought that that just occurred to me there's no love story or love triangle we can skip that she does not die there's no other deaths other than you know there's no deaths in this movie from there's no nobody died in this movie. I mean, no. Francis Dorman is almost Dorman. dead. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best fight? No. Best. So, is there a line that she says that oh. we want to note? Yes, I got a bunny when she's doing the UFO catcher at the bar, like the crane machine. And oh, she's like, I got get a bunny, the bunny. Get the bunny. And then she like screams it. I got a bunny. I thought you'd like that line. <laughs> best freak out? No. Cinematography? No. Song? No. Score? Soundtrack? No. Well, Dancing, you don't want to do hit yes. me with your best shot for song. Well, dancing oh, too. Like really. Hit me with your best shot. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's better represented there. Because mm-hmm. there isn't like a song called North Country that Bruce Springsteen's singing or anything. <laughs> like. And then do we want to nominate men or women for best or worst actor or actress other than Charlize? Who else? Uh, Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins, I think you... I think you can't overlook him in this movie. I think Francis too, but that's a I, again we haven't had like a, a ton of uh, yeah, we can put her in supporting here. female roles, but I feel like she represents a lot here. We have been coming together. What I also do like before I say before I finish my thought, I'm just all over the place. What I do like is that Sean Bean and Francis McDormand don't have last names. They're just Kyle and Glory. Everybody else has real names. They're just Kyle and Glory. Like, it's just like, okay. Yeah, that couple, like, when you look a little closer, is actually, like, pretty tragic. Like, they don't have yeah. kids, and I got the sense they can't. Uh, he only he ends up saying he only has the one ball, you know? So but it works. Maybe, it works. It, it works, but it doesn't, they can't have, they don't have any children. So, I don't know. And then she ends up. Stricken. But is it because of him or is it because of her ALS? We don't know. I mean, that's the know. thing. Like, it's, yeah, right. It's probably just the coupling. Yeah. He and he is really good in this movie, Sean Bean. It's it's like under the radar performance. You know, yeah. he allows her to be the like Francis McDormand gets the the showy role, and he really underplays his scenes in a in a I think a really sort of noble way. I I yeah. And I was like, in five years you're going to be Ned Stark, and then in five and a quarter years you're no longer going to be Ned Stark. <laughs> yes. There's something really interesting to the fact that he was like a watchmaker, uh, you know, that he didn't work in the mines and 
you know, that wasn't weighing on him, I guess. Right? It just that his vocation was completely different. It just, and he carried himself completely He could escape that life. Yeah, yeah. And he's just much more tempered man and stuff. But yeah, this is a very interesting role in contrast to the rest of the guys portrayed in the movie. Uh, what I do want to say, though, Mike, is that we haven't had a ton of female representation, but now through 24 movies, we are up to five best female actress role we got Christina Ricci from Monster, Dakota Fanning from Trapped, which, I mean, is sort of maybe a little bit of a stretch, but she's fine in that movie. Frances <laughs> McDormand in this movie, Helen Hunt in The Curse of the Jane Scorpion, which, ugh, can't believe Ooh, we nominated that wow. movie for something good. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, my heart, Natasha Richardson as Darlene in Waking Up in Reno. Oh, which, yeah. Mike, do you have anything to say about Waking Up in Reno? No, the apology tour has ended. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I covered every podcast <laughs> at this point, but I've made my piece. <laughs> we have not nominated any women for worst female non-Charlie's actress role. We have seven different men oh. nominated for worst, and seven different men nominated for best as of now, but none for worst non-Charlie's actress or role. So. Oh. There's a really great performance, and I don't know the woman's name, but the lawyer for the corporation. Oh, yes, yes. That was in- insane. Like, I should know that person's name and go watch all of her movies now, because, like, that is a fucking tough role right there. And Do you think I hired you because you're the smartest lawyer? No, you're the smartest woman lawyer. I'm like, whoa, okay. So, I mean, I was going to say, like, that, I mean... That, I want to nominate that for worst role because that person is despicable, but like I also want to say like best actress because she played it perfectly. And she's in the Nick, I would add. But since we did, what? Uh, yeah, she's Anne Chickering in the Nick. Oh, isn't she the one who passes away from the tumor? Bertie's mom, right? Huh. Yeah, and she's in the Big Sick. She's she's the one of the doctors. There's Doctor Cunningham, which I remember pretty clearly from that movie. She's oh. in a million things. She's great. She's really really good. Yeah. Shout out the Big Sick. Cool. Any other thoughts? Any other? Uh, or actually, no. Before we do that, any other things that this movie was so good or bad that we want to nominate or create a new category for, or no? If you're running out, I'm sorry. Then maybe this is not my place to say. But if you're re- if you find yourself running out of like, oh my god, there's so many. If you have too many performances, you could do best couple because I feel like you you could knock out both Sean Bean and Francis McDormand. I'm not sure you have another a bunch of other couples that's, in your movies. That's not bad. I don't think we have any. Do we have any couple? Like I like that idea. The only problem I have is whether or not those couples should or should not, or maybe it's two different categories: couples with Charlies and couples without Charlies. You know, because like yeah, like, I guess I'm thinking about supporting couples. Yeah, couples without Charlize. Which I don't know not, if they may we've not be had. Enough. Yeah, because the problem, and I mean, like really, the problem that we've talked about a lot, and this is a bigger problem with movies, is that there's not a lot of movies where there's another prominent actress. Like if Charlize is in the movie, it's rare that there's another woman who is. As on much screen, screen enough yeah, to true. be recognized, yeah. no, that makes right? Sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, this is rare in that there's another woman. There's, I mean, there's a bunch of different women. Like Michelle Monaghan is also in this movie more than like most other Charlize movies have a supporting woman in them. More than like Liv Tyler is in like that thing you do, <laughs> and she's like the main woman aside from Charlize in that movie. I do like the idea of a couple, but I just don't think that we have enough other... Like, I'm just yeah. looking at no, the other yeah. women that we've nominated, or the other men that we've nominated, or whatever. Let's see here. Cuba Gooding, like his girlfriend on screen is not in it very much. Joaquin Phoenix is sort of kind of with, is with Charlize. Keanu is with Charlize. Richard Jenkins is from this movie, which I guess we could nominate him in Sissy's Basic, so we could have just two couples from this movie. Uh, De Niro is with Charlize. Stanley Tucci in The Life of Death of Peter Sellers just plays Stanley Kubrick. He's only on screen for like two minutes. <laughs> He's amazing. And then Tom Hanks is... Tom Hanks is with that football player, the guy... Howie Long. Howie yeah. Long is his partner in That Thing You Do in the extended cut, which is incredible. Right. 
Uh, Helen Hunt is with Woody Allen, which we're not going to nominate that. And then Natasha, we could we could do Natasha Richardson and Billy Bob Thornton. Both couples from that movie. I mean, yeah, I do really like that idea, but I just think that you know, based on the way that Hollywood is, doesn't really work. So no, it makes sense. Any other thoughts about North Country before we wrap up? I don't think there's a novelization for this of all the movies out there, so I don't, I won't be reading that. If there were, I don't think I even <laughs> Good would be. Know. <laughs> so. Good to know. Toten will be back in three movies for In the Valley of Ella. Ela, we will find out how to pronounce it <laughs> on yeah. June 1st. So come back for that. In between now and then, though, we have Aeon Flux, which I feel like could not be, knowing really nothing about it, could not be farther from this movie. And Did you then, watch any cartoons yet? Did you? Are you gonna? No. Can you try and check out like at least? I need a you to send me links. If you send me links, I'll watch them. I mean, you find out. You can find anything online. I mean, I'm just, just not gonna remember to do it. Okay, I'll problem. send you. I'll go check out YouTube. I'll send you a couple of the early ones if I can find them. It's kind of cool. You guys are doing back-to-back women directors, though. That's that's great. Who did Aeon Flux? Uh, Karen Kuzman? Karen Kusama. Okay, Kusama. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, also super cool, before Tobin comes back, we're going to do Charlize's five-episode run of Arrested Development, Mr. F. So, <laughs> or British eyes only. There we go. So a couple cool things coming up, and then we have Tobin's episode, and then we have a very special crossover episode. Going to leave it at that Da-da-da. after that. So... Tobin, thank you so much for being on here. You have your own podcast with Iceland. Iceland's not on any. Does Iceland want to talk about Charlize? I she sure might. I feel like Iceland just does not respond to me when I email her. Sometimes <laughs> she, she does. E- email is 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 uh, hard for her. Yeah, you should. Uh, Twitter is also uh, hard for Twitter's, her. Twitter's Write her a letter. Harder than I mean, email. Just <laughs> snail mail. I will. I will. Uh, I'll put in a word for you. Yeah, find out because I mean, you guys are going to be on a very special episode of the Fast and Furious, Too Fast, Too Forever, yes. coming up very soon. Yes, but we'd we love to have Iceland on here, but you do a podcast with your sister, Aislinn, called The Contenders, which this also sort of gave me a little bit of flashbacks in some ways to The Contender, Mm -hmm. where we have Charlize on the stand. Tell us a little bit, I mean, we've we've talked, we believe, we've talked about your podcast on a handful of episodes here already, but tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, so our podcast, as you have mentioned, is about films made by and or starring women who refuse to play by the rules. Women directors and movies with, with strong female characters in the central role. And we sort of are all over the map. And you've done everything from Wonder Woman uh, to Zero Dark Thirty. So we are uh, we come out every two weeks. And yeah, definitely come check us out. Joey has been on an episode. Mike is going to be on an upcoming episode. Well, by the time this comes out, you can find an episode where our dad was our guest, uh, which is very... Very fun. He was on for the movie Hidden Figures. So yeah, come uh, come check us out. We're called the the Contenders. Yeah, the Hidden Figures episode was last week. As you're listening to this, and what's coming up next week? Okay, I gotta look it up. <laughs> Didn't mean to put you on the spot like that. That's all right. Uh, just open my little file here. Oh, also, while you're thinking about that, today, as this episode comes out, on May 11th, North Country, May 11th, on VOD today is a movie called Revenge, which oh. is written and directed by Coralie Fargiat, Fargiat, something, who follows me on Twitter because I love her movie so much, starring Matilda Lutz, who is a model. It's a rape revenge movie that I desperately want to cover, talk about on The Contenders because it mm. really subverts the genre. I don't know that Island would really appreciate this movie. <laughs> so maybe it won't happen. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, and all I want to talk about is Supergirl. So like we couldn't be further from <laughs> from each other. If you like strong movies about strong women and also yeah. are not really squeamish and uh, want to see like a really bloody badass movie that made people faint at Fantastic Fest, check out Revenge on VOD today. I love it. It was my second favorite movie last year behind only The Big Sick, which we've already talked about. 
I love this movie. So, today, your homework. You can watch North Country, but like we were saying, it's sort of a tough (laughs) ask. Watch Revenge, because Revenge rules. So, watch Revenge, please. Thank you. And this episode, the one we're recording right now, you say comes out on May 11th? Yes. So last week was Hidden Figures, and next week is... Next week, Mike is going to be joining us for oh. Winter's Bone. Oh. Deborah Granick movie starring Jennifer Lawrence, which if people have not seen, they absolutely should. I wish Deborah Granick had made North Country. I think that that aesthetic applied to the North Country story could have been fantastic. So yeah, come, uh, come listen, to our, uh, listen to our episode. And actually, one other thing I want to say is that Jennifer Lawrence came from the part of the world that Winter's Bone is set in. Mm-hmm. And one thing that was about this movie was that Charlize grew up in a similar blue-collar community in South Africa, as it was in this movie. And so she was sort of familiar with the type of people and the type of community and stuff, so she was able to sort of draw on that too. So it's always cool when we can point out when her background, when her childhood, when her history shows up in movies. So that's a little bit of a thing right there. Awesome. For all things Watch a Throne and all things The Contenders and all things everything, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes. This was episode 24. We are now officially more than halfway done, unless she sneaks any others in there, aside from Gringo and Tully from 2018. We are more than halfway done now. We are going to finish up sometime in October-ish, I believe. So we are not that far from finishing, closer to the end than the beginning. Thank you for listening so far, and we hope that you keep listening still. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on Watch the Throne.